0: Welcome, citizens of the globe, to the Frontend Heroes podcast, where we discuss all things villainous and heroic about the front end of software development. My name is Evan Payne. I'm a senior front end developer at Actimo. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Scott Francis, a senior front end engineer at Porsche. How you doing, Scott?
1: Yeah, really good. Uh, thanks a lot, Evan. Good to see you. Um, really like looking forward to this episode. Um, currently in the middle of moving apartments. So this is like some real welcome relief, just to sit down for like uh, an hour and chat about front end instead of thinking about packing boxes and <laughs> keeping estate agents happy.
0: <laughs> you always have so many interesting things going on in your your life. So.
1: Well, I hope I hope it's coming to an end. I hope I'm going to have a very boring <laughs> second half of the year. That's good.
0: Um, I want to front load one thing, and that's to ask you, dear listener, to please give us some feedback on the show. Uh, leave a comment or rating wherever you listen to us or drop us a message on Twitter. We're at Heroes Front End. We would really like to know how you're liking the format, what else you might be interested in hearing us discuss. So thank you for that. You are the best listeners a podcast could ever have. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by NetCentric, an award-winning Adobe Global Alliance partner and consultancy headquartered in Switzerland with offices all over Europe, as well as in Pune, India. They're currently still hiring for a number of roles, so if you're looking, hop on that train, check them out. We are, as ever, so glad to have their support with this show. So today's guest, um, you might have seen floating around Twitter uh, with his uh, excellent GIF and meme skills. Um Brandon Roberts, a web dev developer advocate at Narwhal and a maintainer of NGRX, a state management library for Angular. So Brandon, can you introduce yourself? And in the spirit of trying something different today, could you also tell us how you define what a front end developer does these days?
2: Sure, and uh, yeah, you already you already uh, alluded to some of it there, but yeah, Brandon Roberts. Uh, I give my my conference spiel, Brandon T. Roberts on Twitter. You can follow me there. Like I said, I I sling gifts at your face. Uh, I try to have some fun there. Just talk about a different number of things, uh, including like web dev sometimes, but uh, we try to keep it casual there. Uh, so yeah, that's my main place that I hang out also. Uh, stream on Twitch also so under the same name Brandon T Roberts. Got to so got to keep the names consistent. But yeah, what is my definition of front end dev these days? Um, well, of course I'm on I'm on the I'll say I'm on the Angular train. So uh, mostly front end dev for me is uh, centered around components and uh, just trying to build uh, nice looking applications and having that like that. I'm more of a, I don't don't know if you call it application infrastructure guy, but uh, trying to get those pieces in place to help you ship stuff uh, faster. So that's mostly what I'm all about is um, helping put those pieces together to build apps. And I think that's a big part of what front end is these days with most um, developers using frameworks anyway, is trying to get those pieces together to build good UIs.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, the episode title I went uh, with today in our superhero theme, not as good as last time, perhaps, <laughs> uh, is Agents of A-N-G-U-L-A-R, referencing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I guess. I don't know. Mm. Um, but this idea of maybe peacekeeping spy network that supports the superheroes and pretty much our superheroes, because I feel like that's what, uh, for one, the open source community is like, and also what the Angular community is like. Um, so... I, I do want to learn a little bit about how you even got involved with Angular um, mm-hmm. in the first place, um, and this, how maybe that led to Narwhal uh, as well, who, for those of you that don't know, Narwhal is a consultancy, but they make some excellent tools for working on enterprise-level Angular. I use them in my side project and my work projects, <laughs> really <laughs> great stuff, and a great bunch of people, too. So um, yeah, it, how did you get started with Angular?
2: Yeah. So, um, I, in a, I'll say in a former life, I, before I, you know, did a bunch of Angular stuff and join all I was, a I started out as a backend developer. Uh, so I did before I started, I was a backend developer. I did some Pearl, which is just a long time, maybe dating myself here, but that's fine. <laughs> started out with Pearl, did some pH, moved on to doing PHP, uh, work. And so I kind of bounced around on different projects. Uh, doing PHP and doing, did some other projects where I did like C sharp uh, on the back as a back end dev and some legacy VB.net uh, development there. So different range of product, different range of applications that I worked on. And uh, I had never done front end, like mainly front end work before uh, switching to because I started out with as a back end dev PHP and I was working on a project. Um, that some people may be familiar here with in the U.S. was called um, America's Army, which is uh, a, ga- uh, a game that that the a, basically a game that the military has, where you can play. It's a it was a whiteboarding game for football players, um, and they had a game to like go along with that, or that was one of the products that they had. America's Army was like a first person shooter, but I worked on the back end for that uh, game worked on the back end for the website for that game. And from there, it was a PHP on the back end, AngularJS on the front end. And I was working on the back end side of the application. And this was along when I met my friend, Mike Ryan, who was working as like the front end lead on the project at that time. And uh, he had, he was already very f- familiar with AngularJS. And uh, so I was int- I was always interested in trying to get into the front end side of uh, work so, uh, I started doing some work in Angular JS in addition to doing the, the back end work, and I liked it a lot. So, I eventually transitioned off of back end development altogether and moving every moving all the work that I did an- into the front end. This was Angular JS was around 1. 1. 1.5 or 1.6, I believe, but uh. But yeah, this was like this was like a critical time when Angular one point X was I don't want I want to say like being sunsetted or it was when they were starting to ramp up for like the Angular two alphas and betas and all that. So uh, I was building in an Angular JS. We had a little bit of fle- we had a lot of flexibility on the job where we could build with Angular also. So we were like trying to ship production apps with. Them. <laughs> With uh, the Angular betas and alphas of Angular two at the time, uh, and just trying to get familiar with the framework, uh, so that was at least how I initially got into uh, the Angular ecosystem uh, as a developer. Anyway, even before I started like contributing and going through that that side of things.
1: What made you um, want to switch from the back end to the front end? Like you um, like- it was uh, was it was it actually like seeing Angular or was it something that you wanted to do beforehand?
2: Yeah, I think it was Angular. Angular JS was a big part of that because uh, it was one of at least one of the ones that I had the most exposure to, uh, even before I started um, like knowing about other frameworks. That I, I had done some stuff with jQuery. 'Cause most of the things that I did as a back end developer was like say everything was processed on the server and then we would kind of sprinkle in some jQuery here and there. So we weren't actually uh, building the whole UI. Everything everything was still built in PHP land. Um, mm-hmm. but it was we weren't like shipping like a lot of JavaScript to the browser and letting and building things from there. And that was kind of where I got um, it was one of those moments where I, I think a lot of me and a lot of other developers were saw that the the Angular homepage at the time like had the the two way data binding like on the on the homepage where you could kind of fiddle around with it itself and I was like okay that's you know that's pretty cool I didn't have any like practical use for it <laughs> but uh, that the Angular JS was definitely one of the things that I saw I was like that I knew I wanted to try it even though I didn't have like a real project to throw it at but it always intrigued me of uh, that uh, being able to flip those things on the page as opposed mm-hmm. to like writing the back end code, all everything all in the back end, PHP code. So definitely influence there.
0: Cool. How did how did you go from kind of um, you know working on sites or sites that used Angular to maybe being more involved in building out the library and mm-hmm. and you know satellite libraries around it? I feel like that is a very different mindset in general right um mm-hmm. coming up with like building any kind of library for multiple people to use requires you to do this kind of mental gymnastics of efficiency <laughs> but also like yeah it, you you don't write it how you would if you were just building it for running in your own application necessarily so i don't know i'm just curious wh- how, why you gravitated that way after a while
2: yeah so the 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 thing that led me to like going from like just building things with Angular to trying to contribute to Angular itself was uh, trying to get involved and trying to do basically do more in open source. I had done, I have like built a lot of things and used a lot of open source projects and wanted to get involved in some kind in some capacity, but hadn't really thought about or hadn't had a project that I could really like jump into and get involved in. Like I said, getting involved with the Angular project uh, early in the betas was a good opportunity for me to uh, try to get in and contribute there. And like the thing that got me really involved in the Angular uh, betas and things was the router because that was one of the things that in AngularJS anyway, that a lot of, um, Developers didn't use the first-party one that came with Angular JS. They always UI Router was the default uh, library that you would use, even if you were shipping Angular JS apps. So I got involved because I wanted to. I basically took it as like a personal challenge to try to make the the first-party Angular Router as good as it could be, uh, so that other so that when you it kind of built into that that model of wanting to use everything that you needed for Angular was already there, that you could just you know get, get installed quickly and get running with everything that you needed. So I started down that journey to uh, like basically like diving into GitHub issues and <laughs> digging through source code and building examples um, to try to understand how the router worked at the time and to try to help people that were doing the same thing I was doing, which was trying to uh, get it like apply it to their projects. And in doing that, I was approached by um, his name's Warren Bell, which he's a big, you know, big figure in the Angular community also. He approached me and asked me if I wanted to join the docs team. So that was my first, my first pass at uh, contributing more directly to the framework and actually helping write, the documentation and things that would help developers use Angular um, in that way, and so we, I did the docs for a while, and um, in addition to like working on the docs, we had also me and me and, uh, Mike had also gotten involved with um, NgRx early, like very early on, and one of the things that we had built out with um, NgRx was another router. Uh, that wasn't this was alongside the the angular router that was getting developed at the the time so we were kind of like on these like parallel paths of um like contributing to angular trying to help other developers and uh building out some of these libraries that kind of grew as we went along um but yeah the 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 building like i said building libraries is a lot different uh than like trying to ship with something because you I guess you have less control over what that library does or how it's used. And um, you're not necessarily focused as much on that. You don't have to worry about like the imp- you're on the other side of the impact kind of, of the impact of that, how that library works. And you're working off, you know, sometimes you're working off what other people think, the, how the library should work or like their ideas and goals for it. And you kind of have to fit that into what you're doing. So uh, it's definitely a different feel when you switch over to building the libraries themselves. And then you're on the side of having to make those decisions about whether you should add this to your library, especially if it's open source and a lot of people start using it. Um, you, You run into a lot of different decisions that you have to make. One and I'll say the decisions that I had to make that I wasn't used to making before because it was uh, what NGRX was one of my first I think because significant projects that I worked on that a lot of people wanted to use and contribute to so and it came along with uh, like I said a lot of decisions and things a lot of decisions and uh, thinking about how that impacts other people when, I, when we're working on it. So definitely uh, a
0: different feel. I, I do want to come back to maybe your story around NGRX in specific, but I feel like we have a, a opportunity to discuss something maybe more about what your current role is as developer advocate as well. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea of when you get into using certain libraries and certain complex things, state management being a great example, mm-hmm. if you're, front-end lead on a project and you've decided you've done some research and you're like okay this seems like an appropriate tool then we've as we've discussed previously on the show it's your responsibility to communicate that in the right way to your team and get them on board right Yeah. and i wonder how how that's evolved for you over time like what you found in terms of you know giving conference talks and finding the right mental models to communicate these very complex topics and do those in turn then shape your progress on developing the libraries?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as far as my conference talks have definitely evolved over time (laughs) because as I've gotten more comfortable with doing them, but my, the way I like to approach things is always about, um, trying to help at the end of the day, I'm just trying to help other developers. So everything that I talk about in conference talks is uh, something that I've done or something that I've run into uh, that I'm trying to uh, make that easier for the person who is new to new to that uh, new to that library or new to that tool that they're using. So uh, the and those are like those are my main motivations i'm always trying to i always wanted my conference talks to be as if i'm like we're pulling up a chair and we're like kind of like pair pair programming together and i'm trying to explain you know how this thing works and um how we can get the most out of what we're how we can get the most out of the library that we're using and the other the other side of that is uh and I take that, that same approach in building libraries also about thinking about how users are going to, like, if I was a user, how would I, how would I expect this to work? Or it would, and um, how would I explain this to other people on the team to get buy in? Uh, because I think that's a good part of, or a big part of the libraries that we choose is like, how does it work? is there good documentation around it? Cause that's one thing that I'm really big on as far as documentation goes. Um, and uh, like I said, getting that buy-in and um, helping other people get, be successful with that product. So I've always been trying to been always very conscious about trying to, like I said, meet people where they are and all that goes into like what I, what I've, Transition into doing as a developer advocate is help developers use something that I use personally. And maybe, maybe I have more experience in it, maybe I don't. Um, help them to be successful with it and help them to grow and like do the same thing that I wanted, do the same kind some of the same things that I intend to do, which is be successful with it and then help someone else be successful with it also. So, those are my like my driving. Um, forces behind like projects that i work on like if i could contribute to a bunch more projects i would but <laughs> sometimes those you just don't have the i haven't figured out the the the, um, the magic uh bandwidth bullet yet for that so um but yeah those those are the at least um what i think of as far as how i help try to help people ship things and then how we Turn around and turn those things to put them back into the library or the product to make them better because uh, like ngrx just as an example uh is a case of a project that has directly evolved over time because of the things that we've used it for and the things that uh people who use the library that we talked to have used it for so uh and I think that's a a, a healthy like a relationship to have with uh, framework authors and as well as users because you know if you if you just stay on one side of if you just stay on either side then I think there's a bit of a disconnect there but the more like you like I said you stay in tune with what the user the users want and kind of keep that balance there and I think it'll it help it definitely helps.
1: So would you would you say then that like this kind of approach? I mean, I think it's a great approach. Would you say that that helps you to actually like, evolve the the st- the work that you're doing? The, like, the, if you're creating a library, if you go out and you talk about this at a conference, mm-hmm. um, or you are like as a role of a, a, dev, a dev advocate, then just teaching that to people um, like helps you see how like your product could evolve, how your how the library mm-hmm. could evolve and, and make changes for that.
2: Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's, is much of what my, my goals are is to uh, help, help other, like I want to reach the people who aren't using it currently, of course, because we want to like help more, uh, have more people use like the open source stuff that we build, but also take care of the the people that are, are using it and try to make it uh, as best we can for them, like I said, keeping that, like I said, those are there's always those two things that you have to balance as far as what your goals for the library are and what your goals for your users are. Um, but I still I still consider myself a user at the end of the day, so um, it definitely helps. Like I said, it helps me to be able to build stuff with it and see where the pain points are, uh, as opposed to just being the person who's shipping the Library and maybe having, just kind of having that high level view of things and um, not necessarily building things with it, but treating it more as like um, more theoretical, I would say, than like practical. And I like to mm-hmm. be, I like to be in the middle of like the theory and the practice of mm-hmm. shipping.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm really glad to hear you say that because I, I think that is for me. The making or breaking of a community uh, that can grow up around an open source tool and mm-hmm. early days angular didn't have that i mean the people involved were, were excellent were very intelligent mm-hmm. but they are they must have been so focused on what they were doing inside the library that the mm-hmm. using of it didn't often come into play or if it did it was literally to build the demo site or something like that <laughs> that often yeah. happens in early days and you know if you want people to, or if you want to understand your user base, you have to be a user as well. Um, do you, <laughs> this is this is more about you personally uh, or, or your work, I guess, but do you have specific things you do? Do you, do you start a lot of new projects to try stuff out? Do you do consultancy work um, as part of your job? Like how do you get more projects to try these things and, and approaches out on?
2: Yeah. I've done a little bit of both. I've done some consulting work um just here and there because like I said, I like to see I like to see how other people use the project, which is usually why I like ask a lot of questions about how are people using it, because you don't like even working for a consultancy, you still don't you don't get access to every project. You get you know access. Maybe if you're one on a long one long-term project, you may be on that one for a while, or maybe a couple of small ones. Um, but I always like to see how other people are using the project, um, whether that be consulting or if somebody like sends me a message and asks me to help them out of some issue that they're having. Um, I try to make myself available to. At least be able to see what they're doing or um, see if they're having some kind of pain point that I didn't notice before or uh, some way that work. some something that they've done that works for them that I, you know, I hadn't noticed or hadn't thought of. So uh, it's a it's more of a mix of those things that has come up for me to try to and like also my other side projects. Um, I don't I don't. Blanket throw NGRX at everything, but, um, <laughs> but the things, but I do end up, I do end up using it pretty frequently because it aligns with the things that I'm trying to build. So, and it works for those things. Uh, so it's like, I said, it's a mix of, of the different ways of, like I said, I've done some consulting and most of those were, so it was so that I could, um, Help someone else that help someone that needed some help on a project, and kind of see what they were, what they were doing, whether they were new to NgRx or um, even familiar with it, and just trying to iron out some of the, the things that weren't clear. So yeah.
0: Um. So being very immersed in the Angular side of things, do you still stay on top of the rest of the landscape and? current kind of hot topics are maybe like Astro or Eleventy, these kind of static site generators and mm-hmm. things of that nature, or, you know, React is always super popular. I get it. <laughs> yeah. um, do, you, do you keep on top of
2: those? I try to, like, and this is part of what intrigues me as like a developer advocate is being able to try those new things that are coming out and, Kind of see how the the things that I use would apply in those situations. Like I've heard a lot about Eleven and heard about Astro Build and some of these other tools that are out there. And it's exciting. It's it's a treadmill, <laughs> to say the least, For to sure. try to keep up with all those things. But I do uh, I do want to try some of those other things more. I I tend to joke about. Uh, at least on Twitter, anyway, about how React is and how it compares with some of the things that Angular does, and some of the things I wish Angular did. But, um, but yeah, I do I do try to stay on top of that, even though it's you know it's a mountain of things to do. But I'm always interested in learning how other like frameworks and other people what their like vision of how they build things are. So. And I'm always looking to to sprinkle new routers in other places. So, <laughs> so uh, if any of those ever come up, then uh, if the opportunity is there, I, I I might jump on board there also. But uh, that will probably be unlikely given the given the amount of stuff that I do I have to do already. So, but yeah, I do definitely want to keep up with the other uh, ecosystems and see how like how those are like going forward, even even compared or compared and contrast to Angular anyway.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the, the difficulty that a lot of developers probably face is understanding what these tools that come out actually are best used for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, the answer is always, well, it depends. But you, you need information, <laughs> right? If you're saying let's compare uh, Astro versus Angular, you can't. As in, you know, people have been saying, "Oh, well, this is great because I don't have to like I, uh, you build a single page app when that's not what I need." It's like, well, actually, that is what I need. I need an application. That's what I'm building. I'm not building a static web page. It mm-hmm. is. I can have an entry point that is my static web page. I I use that on my side project like. I build it, it's on Netlify as a static entry point, but then the app itself, it's no good to me to have a hundred web pages or hundred index.html files built. I, mm-hmm. I don't need that. They need to log in and use the app. So I, you do sometimes need a single page app. And I think yeah. that nuance of that gets lost in a lot of these, which tools should I use uh, discussions that happen online?
2: Yeah, so which tool should I use? And what's hot? <laughs> what's the hot new tool? It's, what's the hot new tool that I should use? Uh, and like I said, I think you said it too. We we get caught up in we get caught up in the new the new shiny things, but uh, at the end of the day, it depends on what you what you actually need and what the right tool for that is. And and some preference does come in into that because some people just prefer angular over react or view or whichever um to build things with or or like i said some people just want to ship static sites so they pick the tool that gets closest to that and i don't i don't mean i don't see an issue with that picking the right tool as long as as long as you're like say you're getting the right information and making that decision but even like if it's your own projects and things i mean you can you can do what you want. You can switch today. It's not like you're bound to that that tool or anything. But uh, it, it's different. I guess it's different when you're doing it for work versus side projects. But yeah, you still have that still have that choice.
1: That's the beauty of side projects, right? Like that's the that's your playground. Mm-hmm. That you can you know if you want to make a bad decision on like oh I'm going to use this <laughs> framework even though like the internet internet might howl at you for making the wrong choice like come on it's your project like you can do what you like i mean like that's the yeah that's the that's the playground so why not
2: yeah why not if i want to you know ship a full page uh a single page app with jQuery (laughs) i can still do that today it might not be a good decision but i can still do it and if it's my project who's gonna who's gonna who's gonna stop me from doing it uh well, well if you put it like with... if you put
1: it live, like Twitter probably will stop you from doing it. But
2: um, <laughs> <laughs> Twitter is going to tell you to stop doing everything. So basically, oh, we yeah, that's true. To... That is true. That <laughs> is <laughs> we we're true. talking at the time. So
0: yeah. <laughs> um. So so, uh, do you mind if we talk a little bit about NX DevTools? Um, yeah, sure. So I'm pretty well versed. So I would want to again gang up on Scott about something. And yeah, teach like, me, Scott, teach you, me. <laughs> you need to understand this. But I'm interested in uh, you working for the company that makes it kind of, if you have a good elevator pitch for what use case it solves, uh, we can maybe expound from there.
2: Yeah, so my elevator pitch for NX is centered around monorepos and uh, it's three, three main areas. It's... Um, uh, caching, um, only re- only running, caching, only running what you need to run at particular times, and the like the tooling that goes along with it. Those are like the me- the main uh, three things, and we can kind of expand on those things. But uh, like I said, the big things are the affected commands, the caching, and like the tooling, of generators, and executors that come along with it. That kind of uh, to me separate it from other like monorepo tools. Of course it's a it's NX itself is you know a build framework as we call it, open source build framework, but to me it's the pieces around it that make it um, that make it uh, exceptional as opposed to just handling one particular thing. So yeah we so, can talk about that more.
0: Yeah, no, but but maybe to, to stay high level on the, the monorepo part. Of why you would even go for something like NX or Lerna, um, mm-hmm. you know, my understanding of it is that when your organization has multiple apps, but you want to maintain a sort of unity and control over the development process, how they interact with each other, mm-hmm. it can be easier to just group them all into just one large repository, uh, one Git repository, and when you do that, it can get out of hand really fast. Um, yeah. I mean I never had one. I've only ever used an NX one, so I don't really know the pain points, but I'm guessing there were a lot, which is why this was developed to begin with.
2: Yeah, NX has NX is another one of those things that has evolved over time. Like NX initially started as um, some extensions for Angular, but uh, like I said then grew into a tool for monorepos. And the like you said, the The thing that um, that you're going to run into is if you're putting multiple applications or libraries into like a single place, like just putting them there isn't enough uh, because you don't have like the adequate tooling to be able to manage, to be able to manage and coordinate all the pieces that go into your monorepo. Because like if you're using something like Lerna, then it's going to take care of like the dependency management and you can kind of set up like a lot of ad hoc scripts and things but um nx kind of take nx takes that a step further so that you can manage multiple applications and manage the libraries around them in a way that keeps your monorepo like healthy and also gives you the tooling to to like orchestrate the like building all of those apps or only building a subset of what you need in that monorepo. So uh, the the monorepo part of it is, and, and even that part aside, like building applications with it, um, it helps you to think about how, like when you think about the ar- architecture of like your runtime app, you do have to take some time and think about like the architecture of how it's structured in a place where there are going to be a lot of other applications and libraries also. So it helps gives you that same kind of structure and uh, flexibility around how you put the pieces of your app together um, in a single place and and helps you scale that up across, like I said, multiple apps, multiple libraries, multiple teams, even multiple organizations. Um, so I think that's the biggest the biggest benefit of it is like if if you're you've already like bought into the monorepo approach so you need to be able to like scale up to however many people or teams that you have to work on those projects
1: yeah
0: yeah i mean i i i use it even for smaller projects because again the the core way that um, it breaks it down is mm-hmm. you have your apps and you have your libs and if you work off of the concepts that your apps are basically as like lightweight as possible and you mm-hmm. move all your sort of logic and styles and all that stuff over into your libs then those libs become one very self-contained but then when you run your build for your app or your second app or as it balloons into something else a third app the nx tooling provides you this dependency graph that says oh app b is actually only using this library and mm-hmm. in your current set of commits you made no changes to that library so we don't need to build app b again which is great you're suddenly yep. your you know your gitlab or your github pipeline takes a quarter of the time to build that for me is the, the goal, but it's hard to get everyone involved because you have that monorepo and you've got yeah. the backenders have their app and then you've got the front end that has their two apps and trying to get everyone finally to unify around that. If you're not doing it from day one, that, that can be a time consuming process. But once yeah. you're in it, it's good.
2: Yeah, definitely. So um, like you said, you and i've done it you know this way in the past you you have three projects or you have two projects at least you have your like back end and front end app and like they aren't in they're usually in separate repos they have separate release cycles and uh, they're built separately they could be using different technologies and all those things all those things are still true even if you have in a, have them in a monorepo it just gives you at least at least for me, like most of the things that I build these days are all JavaScript based. So, um, having those things together gives you a more, like, I like to talk about like collaboration a lot when I talk about like NX and what it does, it helps you to um, get that collaborative piece together about how you, how you build these uh, different things together back services, front end apps, build them all together and share, like, share the pieces between them. And like I said, you have to have that collaboration across teams uh, that even if they're building different things, even, but you want them to uh, feel as feel as if they're being built together. So uh, having that separation of only testing certain things or only testing certain areas based on what's changed is definitely, um, it definitely um, definitely works out and helps uh, as if you were just as opposed to just putting all your code in one place and running all your tests and things that, you know, based on a change that might not even <laughs> impact half of your uh, applications that are in there. So uh, and I've like said is those things I've, you know, working as a consultancy, so you get to see that firsthand of. Uh, bringing all those things into one place and working on an app with you know 300 plus people on it that are constantly uh, opening PRs to different areas and just think if you had all that in the same like let's say you just had it all in one bucket and you have to run all the tests for everything that ever changed for 300 plus uh, people or 50 plus teams just imagine how that kind of drags down your the experience for you and the, the experience for the other developers, the DevOps team, uh, you know, they're all about trying to get those numbers down. So um, it, it definitely accumulates over it accumulates over time, having to coordinate that. And that's, like I said, that's what the strength of, to me, what the strength of NX is, is uh, like I said, partitioning out your applications into smaller units and like only running tests or whatever against certain parts of the certain things that have changed, um, and then the the caching part is like kind of like the icing on top for me, uh, to where you get that uh, you've already you've already built something, you've already tested something, so I don't have to go back and then test it also uh, because we're running against the same set of code. So yeah.
0: So what do you think, Scott?
1: Like I was a just good thing. I I was just thinking that's incredible because last week we were having discussions about um with an infrastructure team um who mm-hmm. wanted us to run a quick smoke test for um when they had done a release on like another product that was um sharing our platform. But the quick the fifteen minutes that they were allocating was kind of like like who says this is going to be 15 minutes like this is like (laughs) this is going to be like 15 minutes to just think about it and then Mm -hmm. like like hours to actually to actually like run through these tests so i can immediately see the benefit of it i think it is something that i think it's something that we're all really faced with um like in any in any project any product we're all faced with this um like how do we how do we um first i automate the way that we test things how do we um like make sure that we only test what we need to and we're really confident about those tests we're really confident like in what we're releasing so yeah i immediately see the i immediately see the benefit of it like and it's quite timely with the discussions that we were having last week
2: Mm -hmm. yeah it was like what if If what if you could walk into your like your DevOps room, DevOps people's meeting and say, hey, I know how we can cut the CI time in half. And I was like, well, how are we going to do that? Well, (laughs) split the app in half, split a part of the app off from, you know, the rest of it as far as the testing and things go. And we can say if you only change this half, we'll only, you know, run half of it. Those run half those half of the Mm tests, And that could be just a conversation starter. Okay, well. Let's break that down further, and if we break it into smaller pieces, then we'll know that you know only these particular tests need to be run based on those changes. So uh, it's something that you can incrementally adopt over time. That you'll immediately see like the benefits of it. Like say you have, like say if you have two thousand tests for some reason, and now you only need to run half of them. Well, unless those. 2010 unless only that that half was like eating up the <laughs> the bulk of the test time you're immediately like cutting that time cutting that time in half so
1: yeah totally it, you know what you completely like stuff like this always always blows me away with like when you think back like just a few years like how how much things move on that mm-hmm. there's products like to actually do this kind of thing and like make the whole process like so much slicker and so much um, so much more efficient like it doesn't like I've said we, we always say like everybody involved in like in the industry is amazed at how quickly things move on but mm-hmm. then like things really really move fast like and like to to have people actually thinking right? Like, how can we reduce this much time how can we reduce like the blocking time that the development teams are facing it's like it's absolutely incredible. I'm still, I'm still amazed by it. it.
0: It's it's the the same thing we've we we continually talk about because we bring awesome people onto the show that are involved in these. It's solving some of the meta problems that come mm-hmm. up that you don't really need to solve if you have a DevOps team. But if you don't have a DevOps team, <laughs> you're never like it's you can't solve that on your own. And having these library authors and these frameworks and things that come up that kind of get that out of the way for you we we um, were talking about netlify previously and a lot of the things that they did which just now you don't as a solitary developer you don't have to deal with that on your own anymore or rather someone Mm -hmm. has done the kind of the bulk of the work there and that's make that's what is making front end eat the world in my opinion is Mm -hmm. you get to a certain stage you're able to build a little bit higher and then the meta problems start being solved it's a really good place to be
2: Yeah, I agree. The 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 thing that I've always wanted to focus on is helping, like I said, helping people ship faster. So or, you know, getting to a place where you can move some of those things that, frankly, some of us don't care about out of the way uh, so that you can focus on the things that you do care about, which is, like I said, whether shipping UIs or shipping services or whatever the thing may be, Uh, try to get to that point as quickly as possible, because like I said, that's where you want to be most of the time and not slogging through uh, infrastructure if that's not your thing. So, yeah.
0: Nice. So uh, we're getting to that time in the show where we're moving towards the close. But first, we go into our segment, True Hero. In this segment, we like to highlight a few true front end heroes that are working across the planet and to thank them for all that they do. So this time around um Brandon you've nominated nominated Brian Douglas. Can you tell us a bit about why you made that particular choice?
2: Yeah, Brian Douglas, I met him actually met him um I met him at a conference a couple of years ago and I didn't actually know who he was, but he was a de- he is a developer advocate at GitHub and he has definitely helped me uh in my like journey of trying to get into DevRel, but uh, he works at GitHub. He does he does a lot of he helps a lot of other people who are in the industry also. um, Whether it be writing blog posts, sharing information, uh, trying to move, trying to help other people in the industry be successful, which is, like I said, along the line, the same lines of things that I'm doing. So uh, he's always always giving me good advice. And always been able, open and available uh, to help uh, me along this journey. So uh, he's definitely one of, one of the people that I wanted to, to shout out there. If you search, if you look for him on GitHub, you know, his name is Brian Douglas. If you look for B dougie Yo, you'll find him uh, pretty easily. So I uh, definitely nice. go, give a shout out to him.
0: Perfect. Uh, yeah, Brian, thank you for all that you do. Keep up the good work. Keep up the inspiration. We very much appreciate it. Uh, Now, lastly, any proper hero is a well-rounded one. And so we want to share some simple musical and or other picks. Scott, what's the favorite thing you've been listening to lately?
1: I've actually got a music one this time. Uh, (laughs) But it's like super old. Well, super old. Uh, Yeah, it's super old. Uh, It's from um, 2006. Um, The band is Hot Chip. And the album's called The Warning. Um, and i was listening to it because i love the song uh, over and over um and <laughs> was in a like a retro or something like that and we were like and uh they said oh let just put one track on like everyone would just put a track on and i i suddenly thought of over and over i thought i'm going to put that on there and i realized afterwards like putting a putting a song that says like over and over and over and over (laughs) like a monkey with a miniature symbol. Like was really like not painting a good like vibe (laughs) retro retro. for a sprint. (laughs) Like, and the PO was like, man, what are you telling me? I'm like, I like this song. (laughs) (laughs)
2: You're telling me this is never going (laughs) to (laughs) end. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm I'm, a, I'm in product now okay like, it's not a project it's product like this is never coming to an end um <laughs> uh, yeah so I went back and listened to the whole album and it's really really good even from 2006 it's still an amazing album awesome
0: cool thanks brandon how about you
2: cool i'm going to uh, i'm going to uh, do what i normally do and joke about kanye west who's new album is supposed to come out soon and he had a listening party. So I'm going to give a music choice that hasn't even been released yet because he gave a listening party this past week uh, for his new album called Donda, uh, which I believe is was his mom's name. And I was expecting to be able to listen to that album this past Friday because it was supposed to be supposed to be released at midnight, uh, but it did not get released. And so I woke up Friday morning ready to, you know, get my Kanye on all day long and it wasn't there. So I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity to <laughs> take a shot at Kanye and tell him to, to finish that album so I can so I can listen to it properly and not uh, fuzzy recordings on the Internet that uh, people who recorded with their cell phone at the at the event were pushing out there. So that's my pick. All right. I appreciate that and I'm sure he totally listens to the podcast. So he's yeah, a big sure. listener. He's
1: a big listener. I was him tweeting. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Somebody tweet at Kanye West and tell him <laughs> about this <laughs> podcast that he needs to get his album out.
0: <laughs> All right. Um from my side, I've gone down a train. I know I'm 7 years late for it, but there's a band called Snarky Puppy which is mind-blowingly good and they have a live album. We like it here. Um, obviously, if you've heard of them, you'll know the track Lingus. I just have it on repeat, and the whole album's really good, but that one track and the solo, oh, man, like, mind-blowingly good players. The drummer, uh, Larnell Lewis, is just incredible. Um, so, yeah, I heartily recommend check that out if you're into complex kind of weird jazz stuff. Um, mm. It's good, really good. All right. So it looks like that's all the time we have for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, you should like hard or star us in your podcatcher of choice. Reviews and ratings are how the fancy algorithms help people find our content and the power to help is within you. If you have any questions or topics you want covered in our next episode, as I mentioned at the start, send us a tweet at heroes front and we'll add it to our list. And until next time heroes, remember with great front end power comes great responsibility. See you next time.